When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlick.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got to meet Lee Apps. Say hello, Lee. Hello, Stuart. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice being told welcome when I'm still sat in my own kitchen. No, well, it's it's even more it's even more weirder when when we think we've just been speaking for ten minutes and I've just said hello to you. <laughs> ten minutes in, um, just but the audience don't know that from the edit. Well, they do they do know now. Yeah, that's I like I like making it meta and breaking oh, fourth walls it. because it's a podcast, not Radio One. Oh, yeah. So we've not come here to talk about the theories of social media and the growth of the internet. We've come to talk about a film that you had a hand in writing. Do you want to give us the name of that film? Yes, it's Dark Beacon. Okay. Uh, it's brief synopsis. Uh, brief synopsis. Uh, an abandoned paramour tracks her lover down to a distant lighthouse. Uh, she finds uh, an sort of business downward spiral going uh, crazy, uh, and she has to decide whether she can save the love of her life or just uh, her child from both the mother and this malignant force that's stalking them on the island. Would you say it's a horror film? Super, or would you just just go with the subgenre like supernatural or even existential I think, threat? I think thriller is sort of more the uh, okay. area. It's psychological thrillers will be. Okay, we okay, that's why that's why I should check. Um, so people can see that now. How can people watch it? It's available on all good streaming sources. It's on uh, Amazon, iTunes, PlayStation Store, Google Play. I think Xbox has it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the states has got it too. Um, yeah, the, the main ones are going to be Amazon and the iTunes, I think, for most people. But it's, it's available on pretty much every streaming site. Is it available as a physical DVD? Or is that, is that oh, yes. Uh, not in the UK currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on that. So it may be out in the UK on uh, DVD and Blu-ray uh, later this year, but we haven't got that confirmed yet. Okay. Uh, it's, it's going out on DVD in the States. I think it's currently out there. Brilliant, brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so let's let's start at the beginning because that's where that's where stories start and that's where developing films start. So, as a as a concept, what came first, Jersey the location or Dark Beacon the screenplay? Jersey came really uh, uh, late to it actually. The okay. um, one is interesting. So I co-wrote this with the director Carl Greenop. Yeah. 
Now, as a heads up, I'm going to frequently end up saying Corey because it's I've known him for like 14 years. It's really weird for me to say Cos. Um, I know the person does that. But uh, uh, I write very much like from theme uh, and Corey's observation of locations. Okay. So we had a sort uh, – he had a lighthouse in mind. I wanted to do something at a lighthouse. And during the build-up, uh, we had like, several drafts and all these sort of different ideas we'd gone through. And the film's gone through a lot of uh, interesting – uh, so, also, okay, so let me stop you then. So, obviously, so not Jersey, but then, then, then the, the idea started with I want to do something in the lighthouse. Then, as it were. Yes, okay, the, original, cool. the original, the original lighthouse was going to be uh, Neast Point yeah. uh, up in Scotland. Okay. Um, and then uh, because Cosh uh, uh, previous film had been and Scotland, and you know they did not very helpful out there. And then yeah. Neast Point, I think, was going to cost us seven grand a day. Wow. Um, so obviously we couldn't uh, afford that, and um, yeah, I just burped if everyone had that. Um, and then uh, so we we were like, well, we need a new location, um, and I found us a uh, Corby Air Lighthouse in Jersey, which is both wonderful and had that um, thing that became very uh, sort of like big to the script. Other stuff like this happens. Uh, Corby Air Lighthouse is on a causeway about it's like a hundred meters or something. Mm. It's really far. It's a really long, like narrow path that goes out to the lighthouse. Um, and about twice a day, this old World War like two siren goes, Wah! and it floods, mm-hmm. and then the lighthouse becomes an island. Um, and it's maybe one of the most dangerous tides in Europe because all these sharp rocks and stuff under a really strong pull. Mm. Uh, so you've basically got that like almost like mythological setup that you go you go along the path, look back, and the path disappeared, and you're now trapped. So, yeah, basically, so you're getting production values out of the wazoo for just choosing that lighthouse. Yeah, and then, you know, crafty filming to make it make sense when you're using it. Mm. But it's a good, because um, obviously we can't be trapped on the island whilst we're filming. Of course. Uh, but it's, uh, it's well, a nice thing where, like, originally we were playing with uh, tropes, I think, sort of sections. They were like, the lighthouse is going to be on an island, and it's going to be having to get to a boat and escape on a boat. And it's like, well, one, we could probably wrangle a boat. But we're just playing with all boats, car stuff has been done a lot. And it's a lot nicer to have stuff like a nice courseway that seems like something you'd ride wishing you could have it and not find it. And then that's like the, the real world informing what goes into the story and becomes like a big, um, like lovely ticking time bomb as well. Well, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more relentless than nature, is there, I suppose? Mm. We, can't, we, can't, um, we can't stop it. But it was also fits in nicely because we had a lot of themes in this of um, how spoilery can we be? Probably not too much. Um, well, well it, you can, I'll follow your lead. You be as spoilery as you need to be, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll, I'll echo you. But I won't. I won't do any spoiling. I'll only spoil other transmutations of the script we didn't use. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this is is what I draw. But there's there's a it, it also fits in nicely because there's a lot of stuff that goes into this um, film on sort of. I, I like good sort of like uh, horror thematics. There's a lot of thematics about. Um, like uh, being unable to, to speak and sort of not communicate. So there's lots of like drowning your water, water filling your mouth and your lungs if you open your mouth and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's uh, the child's mute in it. Uh, there's, there's like paralysis and that inability to speak out happening quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it fits really nicely with that, that you have this sort of like, you know, waves enclosing on your sort of path and narrowing you in and the waves closing around you is a really nice uh, sort of, uh, yeah, thematically it would work. So you, so you, you in, you, you and Cos have got experience of working together before on, on screenplays, yeah? Uh, before this screenplay, no, actually. Right, so this is the first time you've collaborated directly on a screenplay together? Yeah. 
brilliant. Okay, so when you when you set off on that journey together with this idea of let's do a lighthouse, let's do a film that that revolves around a lighthouse. Um, what was your approach to the writing? Did 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 you have very different styles in the way you go about it as individual screenwriters, or was there some you know what do you call it um, some synchronicity in the way that you worked? Was there was was there like let's let's brainstorm a lot of ideas, let's get some outlines, let's you know how how did you approach it? Um, well, yeah, we, we've got sort of like a nice sort of like yin yang in in styles because um, what I said before about the locations of theme. Uh, Corey watches, I think, minimum two horror films a day, okay. and he stacks them going through them. I, I, <laughs> I, I truly like, I think, about five horror films, um, because a lot of them do these sort of basic storytelling things, tying into having character arcs and things like that. Um, so we sort of band each other on like, like, like super fan and a more cynical view in terms of writing it. Um, our methodology, we did. Uh, luckily, we also lived together, okay. so. We had uh, we started out doing uh, just a, like just talking and lots of like idea building um, and sort of the, the themes you want to discuss uh, and sort of what sort of like kind of homes we could do and pull off of this budget as well. Yeah. Um, narrowed it down and then we did a classic boarding. Would be a good, uh, nice big cork board and all your your uh, sticker notes. So in that we, sense, are you brainstorming there, or are you kind of is that a linear narrative you're doing on the cork board? Uh, well, we we brainstorm and then do the getting the, the big beats, mm-hmm. um, and then work out partly what comes between them and what needs to be discussed at those points. So you get the big beats, you know, like well, if we know at this point she's going to straight up like try to do this thing, mm-hmm. we're going to need to establish earlier, uh, you know, this sort of discussion. Uh, why? So like, if she's going to like, so if a character, so <laughs> trying to not be too spoiled, uh, if a if a character's going to turn on another one. Yeah, and then we we'd see like okay, this big piece come up here. So looking back at it now on the board in these nice four sections we've got it in, I could see okay, we need to set up more distrust here. We need to have more. I, I don't feel reading this, she'd like have that level of distance between them yet. So let's look back at here and see if we could feed more of that in. Oh, I see. I can see here on the board, um, like the kid goes missing for about a third of the film. So uh, and that's odd. So let's put her back in. Okay, okay. So, so the, the 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 by doing the corkboard, it it helps you to see the whole film in, in at a glance, as it were. Yes, and and the sort of the, the it, it's seeing the whole film and the the flow of it because I steal a lot of things. Like I um uh prepare for hate mail. I personally love Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. Okay. Uh, which is the same you know uh, knowledge you get from every you know going back to Joseph Campbell. It's the same information. Uh, on how stories generally work, uh, but I, just, I like his way of phrasing it. Um, and it's not something you need to like hold to, like a procrustean bed. It's it's a system that every like ninety nine percent people are making stories to, and it's what people expect. So if you you don't need to follow, but you need to understand that's the language people expect. So then once you know that, you know what people think will happen, and then you can play with those expectations. So um, I mean, it is really just an expanded version of. Beginning, middle, and end, isn't it? If we, if yeah. all, it's a, well, I mean, and all sto- stories need that. <laughs> it's almost a, well, it's almost a mathematical thing because every story is a story of change, and for something to change and be new, something old has to die. That's mm. that's your basic story. The story beats everything. Like someone wants something, so they go out of their comfort zone and pay a price and come back changed. That's 
But then I guess I guess the criticism of something like Blake Snyder or Sid Field is this idea that you're writing to a page number as opposed to a story beat, which is a very different attitude, isn't it? Yes, but I think, but like, um, there's rules to the English language, but any good writer will do like a one word sentence or they'll do, you know, <laughs> grammatically incorrect, but they have an effect because you know what the audience expects to read. Mm. Similarly, if you deal with a story, there's like an early version of this draft, which I can talk about because this isn't sponsored film, but it changed too much from this. In early versions, Beth was the uh, protagonist and the man, and it's about Beth uh, connecting with his daughter, a different name, uh, and uh, the Amy character came into it. Uh, as seeming like a love interest, but at about, you know, your whiff of death moment, to use the, the phrase, you sort of break it to free kind of time, yeah. Amy gets killed really horrifically. It didn't go into the third act. Right. Um, and that's what happens is content wise, she seems like a love interest, that sort of, you know, that would be the B story, but structurally is actually put in as a mentor. So it both actually surprises you because it misleads it, but at the same time feels correct because as someone who watches you know, lots of stories, you know, there's like a death always happens around this time in stories, but this isn't the way you'd expect. So now where you get to know what the audience is trained to think, trained to feel and what their emotional uh, responses are normally going to be at those points in the film and then play against that. So, so when you, when you, when you're getting these, these ideas that, that, that sort of come and go and, and you move on and get to where you eventually want to be, that becomes your lock script. You and you and Cos as writers and living together obviously makes this convenient, but it doesn't necessarily make it so. Are you standing over each other's shoulder while you're writing, or does one of you go off into a dark room and come out with either some scenes written or or a draft, and then the other one is giving notes, or are you saying, "Here's Act One, I'll do Act Two, you do Act Three? How do you how do you then compile the screenplay as as an exercise of work? Uh, the thing that makes it really good living together is actually it makes it, it, it deformalizes that sort of idea of like we meet up and we write here and do this now. Okay. Yeah. So it means like in the mornings, um, we go and we have sort of like several days where we go and we do the board and we just be like sitting down in like the living room going over those and chatting it through. Um, and then when we got down to like the, the physically writing of it, um, we'd normally write in a different room while one was writing and the other one was sort of doing other things. So I could be writing a scene and then I, I start worrying about something, go into the other room, talk to Corey for five minutes about it, go back to writing, go back to the other room, talk it through, go back to writing. Mm. It's very good having that other person there. Like, you know, a lot of times, if you, even if you try to explain what your issue is to someone else, just the act of saying it out loud tends to organize in your brain better. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I think, think, I think, also, any, of course, I, Corey will also have on like solutions as well. But um, it, it it was good having that because I mean, there's not a uh, yeah, I wasn't just like we weren't just like alone, pocketed, constantly ringing someone. Even it's you're alone writing it when you want that. But if you also want to be in the same room, just go in the other room. Largely, when we got down to the actual writing, it would be taking in terms of someone writing, the other person doing a pass on it, and. Whilst we're both doing that, going in, you know, walking in and out of the room to uh, check in. How do you, how do you resolve creative differences? Um, in the sense of, if there's there's one surefire idea that you're convinced will work, and Cos says, "Oh, but no, this is how it should work." How how did you did you agree beforehand, or was it on a kind of need to know basis how you would resolve any kind of creative differences like that in the storytelling? Um, Dark Beacon was originally Corey's idea for a film, and the okay. plan was always to direct it. Right. And I'm a very big believer in 
a, having a clear sort of vision on projects. So from day one, I was thought it should be Corey's final say, and I just convinced him to just do what I wanted. Um, yeah, that was the way it worked. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to like overall it. I just convince people and be like, no, this is, I am right. So, so knowing I don't what you clashed or anything like that, and during the actual like writing process, I don't think there's any actual like major. Well, no, no, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting it, oh, it, it's, sort of, it's, it's a soap yeah. opera. It's just the fact that obviously difference of opinion can 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 be can be strong because you can be convinced of something, and and often even the past of the 24 hours can change someone's mind. Never mind in the moment. Uh, I just oh. wondered if I just and I've just I've just spoke to writers before who, in a funny way, have done something similar to you where they've they've just assumed that one person is in charge ultimately of the decisions if you can't agree. But it doesn't mean that you're a passive passenger who then just accepts everything. No. Um, well, well, what, because, what, go on, sorry. Well, I was going to say, well, because like, um, well, because Corey, because he's a very sort of like, like teamwork sort of person. Yeah. We're always like, no, no, no. It's definitely like, you know, it's definitely like, you know, we all, we have to make these choices together and there's no, there's no sort of thing like that. But from my perspective, because I also like direct things, I know like, I know that if I'm directly saying I don't care what the script says, ultimately it's about making the, the end product. Mm. Um, if, if, I, if we really generally disagreed on something and I tried to write against the grain, against what the person who's actually going to be directing it wanted to direct, this could come out, you know, odd. That's going to not flow. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's what you're saying, yeah. In the spirit. consent of convi- like, like convincing someone, like, no, no, this will work as this. And then when we get to the point oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Then we're um, back on board. No, you're right. <laughs> you it's, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? That, that a screenplay is only is only a vehicle to get a film made, and what gets made will always still change and deviate yeah. slightly, or, or a lot from the screen from the, from the screenplay to screen anyway. Yes, and, and inevitably, like even if like the film won an Oscar, I'd still be going. Well, I'd personally do it slightly differently with this because <laughs> I'm an asshole. Um, but what, yes. would, what would you say? What would you say were the were the greatest uh, storytelling challenges in what what became the final version of a dark beacon? How I don't mean I don't mean in terms of between you, but for for you both to solve what became the hardest part of writing a dark beacon for you. Uh, there, there's two parts which are very yeah. difficult. Go on. Um, one is doing these sort of slow burn stories where there's a character who's resistant to change and character's not pulling the trigger. That's the and that, that ties into the is it real or is it not? Because it's hard to balance those uh, elements of like, we want character, you know, if you've got a character where people are skipping from place to place and land to land because they're collecting a MacGuffin, that's, you've got like a good, like, let's go on an adventure. If the adventure is, I'm trying to see if I can still bring back the woman I used to love in a mental and emotional sense, and I'm not sure whether or not I should leave, you, you've got to still keep a sense of momentum and tension and build, but we need uh, it, it's hard and more subtle. Yeah, um, I, I was going to so, say because I, I guess on on the screen, having watched it and not read the script, you you use a lot of what you would call disassociation, don't you? I mean, it's sort of is it, is it supernatural? Is it somebody hmm. going mad, so to speak? Well, we we used um, uh, Beth is sort of the uh, emotional. Um, uh, a closet with a noise in it, effectively. Mm-hmm. Where as long as as Amy loves her enough that you know, like she's it's she's should leave, but she wants she can't because mm-hmm. of her. And the characters can be flawed and make bad choices because I love characters being flawed and making bad choices because mm-hmm. that's what people do. 
yeah. then that's all the tension. You know, in a horror film, someone goes towards the door and you could be screaming, don't go, don't look in there. But you kind of know, like, why we're here to sort of dig into that ugly. Because um, obviously, if you, every horror goes, I heard no one leaving. So in this case, it's not a cupboard. It's, it's someone that you love and seeing, like, are they still in there? Can you still save them? So what? So that was the first thing. So what's the second thing then that you that you were that was a storytelling challenge for the period? Uh, well, the second one. This is why Amy became the main character. I said earlier that Beth used to be the main character. Yeah. Because um, originally it was uh, <coughs> Beth and Chris had a different name. I keep calling Beth Beth. He won Beth was a man in it. Um, it was about uh, Beth reconnecting with his daughter, and it's about that was where a lot of this like lack of communication stuff came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Amy coming in, trying to be like, "Oh no, open up! You know, you need to come back from this." And da 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 da, da. and then sort of be, actually being the mentor. So then when she dies, he has to learn to do himself. Mm. Um, which was nice as a story and a lot of that booze and sort of them. It, it could have worked as a film, but there was a lot of frustration when you looked at it. Again, this is something that's used with the board. You could see overall, you're like, the main character was resistant to change and the character, the one who goes, no, I'm just going to stay here and not talk to people. Mm. And it's, uh, and you're like, well, it's tense and sort of like pensive and interesting, but I could see a large portion of people, including myself getting annoyed uh, being like, no, we would like the character who's wants to do stuff, who's got a bit of like fire in their gut. Um, stories about like inherently broken people being slow paced stuff definitely work, and we could have gone that route. Um, I think we were probably better off taking this sort of uh, turn and switching to Amy as the, the proactive, the one, the person who believes uh, as the the, the protagonist, because then we get to have all the stuff like investigation and someone trying to do things. Uh, we get stuff like early on, this has come came out, sort of the yin-yang of, of Harvan, not Harvan's, of, um, where she sees the locked room and immediately unlocks it. Mm. Because she just goes, well, what? I know something weird's happening. Um, we said that Amy is that kind of person who gets in over their head because they're quick on their feet, but uh, not thoughtful enough. Uh, and uh, that seems like a throwaway meta gag. Meta, coming back to that. <laughs> um, but uh, just as she's unlocking the door... Uh, she sees the child next to her and makes a throwaway joke about I had a weird childhood too. And then later on in the film, you find out that's actually a very important backstory and reasoning behind why she's there and reason behind all the events that are happening, um, which is my favorite setup. I love hiding like important setups under what seems like a stupid joke. No, no, no. I mean, cause, cause I'm also, if you, if you I mean, we're talking to largely people who may not have seen it, but you, that impulse to open that locked door is is a small journey compared to the impulse to go to your friend at the at the lighthouse in the first place. So we already know the person involved is driven to solve the problem of the of the friend, isn't it? Yeah. I now, also like people. I also like the idea that like um, horror films and films in general exist in these universes. So anytime, <laughs> very deliberately, anytime someone is being melodramatic, they're aware they're doing it. So there's any so uh, in Dark Beacon when people make monologues. They get they they deliver they stumble over their words slightly and they're aware that they're being dramatic and they're slightly embarrassed about it or someone else in the scene gets annoyed or impatient. Um, I I love like stupid little things like that just uh, playing the formula because of course like you know functions a horror film but also functions a horror film people have seen a bajillion of them. Yeah, so so writing for the for the for the young girl character must have been difficult. Um. In many ways, not really, because I think um, 
as, as a child with some very strong circumstances around them, their, their impulses can be very clear. Like, you know, you can, you can, you know what she cares about very deeply and you know what the, those questions are. So you can have, so for a young child, she's trying to shift allegiances, but we have, uh, yeah, there's just very strong pulls. You've got the pull of like how much you have loyalty to your mother and then how much your mother can, let you down or frustrate you. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking more of the from from like giving them dialogue or not, you know. Oh, that's why the child is mute. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I, I say so, that's why. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, glorious formatics and um, artistic writing. Well, no, it's a combination of the both because it, it helps a the theme and it's also it's just something I think more powerful about that child being the innocent caught in the crossfire. Mm. There's lots of setup of scenes where because most because as this film is all a discussion. Most of the, a lot of the scenes are a battle of wills between uh, Beth and Amy, who are essentially someone who thinks they don't deserve to be loved and someone who thinks they do, and both sides are damning. Mm. Uh, and the child's caught in the crossfire. So a lot of scenes that she's placed in the middle of them, a lot of scenes of them sort of battling over her, and that's you know where the film is is taking you. Um, and I think you get a lot more out of seeing um, Kendra May do the great performance in it, seeing her like on her face and on her boy language and her proxemics of who she's signing with and where she's going, uh, how she's feeling when she's more hiding or when she's starting to open up in her physicality more. And I think a lot more of that than having these sort of classic, like horror film dialogues being like, I want you to be my mommy or anything like that. I think would have just been. <laughs> no, I know. But it, but it also there, there must've been times when you go, I wish she could bloody speak. So we could solve this, resolve this, yes, this position. You say that, but trying to investigate what's happening there and the child can't or won't tell you is just classic, like, tension stuff. Oh, no, no, it works dramatically. I'm just thinking, like, when, you, when, you're not, when you're on the page, not having her voice as being part of any answer to stuff is, is one less voice, isn't it? You've only got, really got three people, mm. largely. So, essentially, you're relying on the, the conversations between two people and one of them's not exactly living... On, on on solid earth most of the time. Mm. <clears throat> it's a, it's the same thing, especially with sort of like indie budgets. Is any limitation is a great opportunity because if you're like, okay, we can only afford two actors in one location. Great, oh amazing. That takes like uh, n- infinite possibilities down to about you know ten million. Awesome, <laughs> let's go with this. Um, one of the characters is a robot. Awesome, I'll make some great robot stuff. Any any limitations like that is just I love stuff like that. Is there? I mean, apart from the lighthouse itself. What would you say are what would you say is a ghost in, in the writing sense, not in not in your story sense, of maybe that very first draft of a dark beacon that still that, that managed to survive all the way through all the rewrites and polishes you did up until you locked the script? Um, I think it's uh, the dis the distrust and uh, inability to communicate being a source of fear, mm-hmm. um, and there's always been a um, this idea of, of uh, a mental health paralysis were always coming through. Interesting enough, it was originally Beth had night terrors. It switched because uh, originally it was um, uh, because Beth has a, a drinking problem. Yeah. There's a thing if uh, when you drink alcohol, you get uh, it, it stops you having REM sleep, and that um, leads to an analog of a uh, chemical depression. Wow. Um, so when you, uh, which is kind of a darkly beautiful in an irony way that some forms of depression are the inability to dream. But when you stop drinking or try to come back, which leads to a great midpoint turn for films, um, you get a REM bounce back. And then a lot of like, alcoholics, when they try to stop drinking, have really horrific nightmares. 
Yes, I've seen. And seen, a lot I've, of people I've seen the film Lost Weekend. If you watch the film The Lost Weekend, uh, Billy, I think it's Billy Wilder film, isn't it? About a a guy in in a mental ward, and hmm. it has ants coming out of the brickwork when he's, yeah. when he's getting withdrawal symptoms. And it's a, well, it's, it's a lovely thing in the story because that's someone trying to get better and it makes them worse. Um, yeah, heavy, that, heavy on the irony, isn't it? That? Yeah, that's a lovely story. I mean, that then shifted to um, Amy because then the um, film came first of all, we went from her perspective. And secondly, it's that idea of being paralyzed and seeing someone in the corner of your eye and we're playing a game of is that someone else or is that Beth watching her sleep? Um, and then you get three beats about paralysis throughout the film, which, not to be spoiled, you watch it to get those. Well, look, that's a good segue. So let's remind people then when, when, where and how they can watch A Dark Beacon. Uh, so it's a Dark Beacon. Uh, it's available on uh, Amazon, on iTunes, uh, Google Play Store, PlayStation, uh, I think YouTube Red, uh, and more places in the States. Cool. Well, I'll put some links in the show notes. While I've got you, while I've got you do you want to tell me about what you, you've got coming up that you can talk about? Uh, yeah, we've got, um, well, there's several. Because I, I, I was about to say, because thinking about it, for other pursuits you have, people listening to you talking about a psychological thriller might not might not think that you're a comedy writer and performer, I think, improv, innit? Yes. What's happening on that front? Um, should I do that segue back to film? On that front, uh, I'm in uh, doing uh, Leicester Square Theatre Monthly, uh, Brand Fringe, Devises Art Festival, I'm in Edinburgh the whole month doing uh, Crime Scene Improvisation. That's at Crime Scene Impro. Uh, that's sold out Edinburgh the last two years in a row. So we're now in Underbelly. I get to wear a head mic. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we got the nicest thing that's ever happened with that is I got emails from people this year asking to be told when tickets go on sale because there are some people who tried to see us two years in a row and couldn't get tickets, which is amazing for um, <laughs> improv, which is... You know, uh, I, I do, and it's great, but I, I never expected it. So that started on my side project to loosen up for writing, and it's just uh, grown exponentially. So, um, go on, so go, give it, take us back into film, then. What, what, into film, yes. Yeah. Uh, we've got a project called Cupboard Eye. Uh, I'm Ryan Wakari, which is going to be amazing, and shooting in Leeds as well, mm-hmm. Yorkshire all the way. Uh, that should be shooting later this year. Uh, House Red, uh, which I wrote on, uh, which is shot. Uh, that's like Sweeney Todd with wine. Very catchy uh, summary. That should be out. Um, I think it's coming out later this year. Uh, that's the working on the distribution. And um, I'm working on uh, the feature that'll be my first time directing on a feature, which is called Dad Hide a Hitman. Uh, and that's a uh, black comedy. And where, where are you shooting that? Where are you planning to shoot that one? Uh, at the moment, I'm thinking Brighton. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Breakfast Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. The Breakfast Podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.